Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Today's episode of Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor for my podcast, as well as the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. With just two taps on your phone, you can instantly buy SeatGeek tickets to an event, and you can enter that event just using your phone. No paper tickets. Drop your old ticket app. Use one that's built for 2016. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. And now, without further ado, here is the masked man, David Shoemaker. Welcome to the Masked Man Show. I am your host, David Shoemaker, sitting across from me. The great Dave Schilling. The legend. The living legend, Dave Schilling. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little bit perplexed. We both uh, we we both just admitted to one another that we watched all of the week's WWE programming uh, today, this being Wednesday morning, basically. Uh, yeah. um, it's quite a marathon. I even watched 205 Live. Yeah, I got a little bit into 205 Live. We're gonna I'm gonna save my 205 Live. Uh, conversation for um, maybe next week when I can have a little bit more time to wrap my mind around where they're going. Um, but yeah, my the the there were a lot of cool things that happened this week. Watching it all at once left me with this kind of just foggy headedness about what pay per view I'm supposed to be covering right now <laughs> um, because they were like, first of all, book. They, not only were they you know actively booking. Uh, the roadblock colon whatever it's called on Raw um, TLC is ne- is this coming Sunday on SmackDown, but they mentioned TLC on Raw, um, which of course makes sense. But it's just weird in the in you know in reference to the fact that they're booking their own pay per views and they set up like the two biggest they entered. I mean they were setting up the Royal Rumble by entering Lesnar after now Goldberg is in. Um, it's a lot of pay per views. I don't think there's any analog in sports or entertainment for the sheer number of things that WWE has to promote at any given time. If it's the network as uh, an outlet, if it's the programs on the network, if it's the pay-per-views, it's if it's NXT, the cruiserweight division, it's in- incredibly overwhelming. And um, friend of the podcast, LaToya Ferguson, wrote in her SmackDown uh, yeah. review for AV Club that she just is fed up with all of the go-home shows and the sort of wrote uh, uh, sort of like way that they approach their programming, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you too. It's 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 hard to balance all of this stuff in our heads, but at the same time, we're savvy enough that as fans, we should be able to at least like compartmentalize it a little bit. Yes, I mean, and, and we're yeah, I mean, but we're the the most central target audience, right? So, I mean, maybe not target's the wrong word. We're not going anywhere. As fans, probably, um, we can wrap our minds around it. But this is this would sort of be like like inviting your friend over to watch the Westworld finale and just not, but not telling them anything. You know, if you're if you're if you're like a so if you're a pseudo fan, if you're like you know a casual fan trying to get into wrestling, like you must be so perplexed to watch an episode of Raw. There is only one entry point uh, per year for a new fan, and that's WrestleMania. Sure, because you can watch it. You can kind of get. The angles, uh, the characters uh, are fairly set, and there are video packages that explain everything. And then here comes The Rock. Triple H is here. Stone Cold makes an appearance. Right. So you remember, you have the touchstones of your experience being a fan. But if you tried to start watching wrestling 
yesterday, and you're watching a SmackDown episode where, you know, James Ellsworth comes out, and you got this guy Bray Wyatt with this huge beard and dreadlocks, and Randy Orton is a bad guy now? Like, it's, there's so much going on. I still don't, I mean, one of the, one of my pie in the sky, but actually it shouldn't be that complicated things I said about, uh, I mean, I've said, it's, it's not network specific, this is about WWE.com, or just, this is about WWE, is that at any moment in time, you should be able to click on the face of Bray Wyatt on the website and see a two-minute video package of everything that he's ever done. Yeah, like, but focusing on the what he's doing right now, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit of a little bit of origin story, some of his big highlights, and then just like why we care about him right now. Um, and but there's just too much stuff. It's funny, Latoya's right. I mean, everything is hyping. Everything's a go-home show. Everything's like hyping something else. But it's also like the fact that it's so insular. I mean, I remember. The first, I don't know, it was the first time. I over the years, there's always jokes about the uh, like Monday Night Football where they'd be like promoting something else, or it's even worse on on Football Night in America on the on the network shows where they're promoting you know the Big Bang Theories episode or whatever, and the and the and the video guys come. I mean, like the the little like inset video comes on, and like the characters walk across the screen, and they're like, check out the Big Bang Theory tonight, and it's so silly. Inherently silly to, to you know to hear Boomer Esiason promo a sitcom, but it's even it would be even worse if it were all so as inside as wrestling is, right? If like they if they took thirty seconds out of for after every play to say, hey, be sure to check out, you know, I even know what an example would be. Be sure to check out Aaron Rodgers' charity work this weekend. We're going <laughs> right. to be filming it. We're going to be airing it live on the NFL on NFL.com. Like sometimes what you're watching is what you should be paying attention to. Right, but that's just, I think there's an inherent, I wouldn't say a used car salesman mentality, but something akin to it. thing, yeah. Yeah, in in the wrestling business, I was listening to the the Jim Ross podcast today with uh, Broken Matt Hardy, and every 10 minutes, Jim Ross is pimping his show at the Royal Rumble or Matt Hardy's promoting total nonstop deletion. It's just part of the vernacular yeah. of the professional wrestling industry. And so as much as we are sort of numb to it, because we are kind of numb to it, we're still smart enough fans today uh, to know when you're being sold to. And I think that at some point, they're going to have to find a way to make the selling of the product uh, a little bit more seamless, uh, to not be able to notice when it's happening as much, because... We've gotten to the point where they're selling so many things at one time that you have to notice it. Like yeah. when Gorilla Monsoon is promoting something in an old episode of Superstars, it's one thing. It's like the pay-per-view is coming up. Sure. But now it's four pay-per-views. Uh, it's five shows. It's 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 overwhelming. And I know we and Bobby the Brain Heenan was probably asking him why anyone would want to buy that. We know, like it's, there's, <laughs> right. a, there's a certain sort of like inherent, I mean, internal dialogue and humor that goes with that, with those old things too. Um, yeah, it's true. Well, it's interesting that you brought up um, the WrestleMania entry point always featuring The Rock and Stone Cold and and uh, you know Triple H, the, the recognizable faces of the Attitude Era because a lot of what we saw this week um had as you as JR who you just mentioned would say shades of the attitude era. We had a um a parking lot brawl. We had uh the SmackDown went off the air with a backstage brawl. Um 
It definitely loosened up the the constraints on dialogue a little bit. Um, Becky called Alexa a bitch during her backstage promo. There seemed like there was just a lot more kind of going on. Like the, the the fabric of the universe was expanding a little bit. Obviously, the the women's title match on Raw, which we'll talk about more in depth, um, was all over the arena. There was a you know T. I don't I don't know if you would. I mean, it, it would make sense if they were kind of vaguely hyping TLC by having this false count anywhere no DQ match. Uh, but it certainly wasn't explicit, and it felt like it felt like you know, um, sort of a, a minor uh, shift in status quo. I don't know. Did you did you pick up on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, minus the uh, you know the high spots that you wouldn't see those guys do, it felt like a, a rock stone cold raw main event, and that yeah. there is the brawling through the crowd. There is a lot of stuff that happens outside of the ring. I remember, you know, in the nineties. So much of those matches did not occur inside the ring. Yeah, um, and there's a whole division, the hardcore division, that was predicated on the idea that you would wrestle anywhere, and that, like you said, opened the world up. And and that's something that we started to to lose in the last, I think, ten years. Um, that idea that wrestle the wrestling storylines exist outside of whatever town they're in. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I mean, there's if we can we can take this a lot of different directions. Um, well, we'll get back, like I said, we'll get back to Sasha and Charlotte. But there was an ECW chant during their match. Like yeah. it was, it, there was, there was the crowd could in real time felt what was going on. But I want to talk a little bit about about the uh, Jericho Rollins parking lot or parking garage brawl. I mean, I always, of course, I grew up in in Louisville, Kentucky. I always come back to. Uh, Eddie Gilbert and Jerry the King Lawler brawling in the parking lot outside of the TV studio station where they where they film it, and it was like that was like the scariest thing I'd ever seen. You go back and watch it, and it's like just you know punches and a couple of shoves, and there's a spot on a windshield on the windshield of a car, whatever, but like um, or on the hood, but but it's not like it's the most. Uh, certainly, there were things that happened in the ring that were scarier. A pile driver in the ring is scarier than most of what happened out there, but it just felt so real. That, that makes it so much scarier, right? And and what you're saying is exactly right. If you see Ambrose and AJ Styles in the ring talking crap to each other every week, it kind of starts to feel like they don't really dislike each other that much because they've spent an awful lot of time together. Right, they're constantly you know? talking. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the fact that they went off the air with them, or I mean, the, the, the post-promo, the post-Ambrose Asylum beatdown by AJ Styles was wonderful mm-hmm. uh, for, to push that forward, but also just going off the air with them fighting. I mean, it, it just, it just I don't know, made it, made it seem a lot more real, similar to the, to the Rollins-Jericho uh, thing, because it's like, I'm interested in seeing those guys have a match, but like, but it's very hard. If you would ask me a week ago, two weeks ago, I would have been very hard pressed to imagine a scenario in which I felt there was any urgency to that match. You know, well, you know, there's a tendency to start to think of these guys as chess pieces and not as actual combatants in a fight mm-hmm. or or actual characters in a story. They're just kind of moved based on the whims of the the booker. Um, but that only happens because they seem to exist within these narrative boundaries of yeah. Dean Ambrose has to come out during this segment, and then AJ's going to come out, and they're going to have a conversation. And that's all they're going to do. And then when the conversation is over, they're going to beat each other up. But then they're going to never interact with each other again for the rest of the night or during the main event or something. It always feels so uh, restricted. 
And, and similar to your experience uh, when you lived in Kentucky, my thing of like, wow, this wrestling is bigger than just the arena was Kevin Nash throwing Rey Mysterio oh, yeah. into the production truck like a dart. There's the Cruiserweight Champion, Rey Mysterio. Oh, no! Head first! Threw him like he was a dart! Because Nitro was the first of the two to really do that on a big, on a grand scale sure. on, on national television to go outside of the arena. Uh, and I think... Part of why they stopped and why it was good is because it happened so often in the 90s and early 2000s through to 2006 that they would brawl outside or what have you, that it started to feel stale. And what we what we think of as stale now was revolutionary back then. Yeah. And so bringing a little bit of that back reminds you, hey, I remember this uh, part of the show and I enjoyed it. It doesn't feel old anymore. Absolutely. new and and fresh. I mean, I was thinking about this with the Attitude Era. You know, a lot of people online were talking about it this week. And I I mean, people are always talking about the Attitude Era online. But I think one of the one of the reasons why we why one of the reasons why it has as much resonance as it does is because it is a defined era. I mean, it was WWE woke up one day and they're like, we're doing a different thing now. And if it had just faded out, you know, if they're, you know, a little bit more organically than I think that, you know, we we wouldn't have gotten tired of things in the same way or we wouldn't. And we certainly wouldn't rhapsodize the era in the same way. Or it'd be it'd be more difficult to. Um, but when they made the move for PG, it was just, you know, it just changed so much of it. it it's not that, you know, the creative team shifted. So, I mean, they, they did change a lot during that period of time, but it was just that, yeah, they just... There were ha- half of the playbook was just torn out and thrown away because there were certain things they were very reluctant to do. Um, now it certainly feels like we're we're headed in a new direction. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about uh, we're going to preview TLC briefly at the end. We're going to talk Charlotte Sasha. Um, we want I, I I have a weird question about Westworld for you that we definitely got to get into. But first. Um, so we were talking about it a little bit earlier. Raw. You know, we we recorded the the TV, we, I mean the TV, the Facebook Live, Periscope uh, panel during um, the Survivor Series. It, apparently, it went really well. If anybody anybody didn't see that, it's still on the Ringer's Facebook page, and you can go check it out. I watch it and, every day just to see myself. And my, the last Mass Man Show podcast was was the kind of our, our post show wrap um, that repack it reformatted for the for the pod. But but you know, I haven't sat in this room and discussed it. Um, at all, I think that the only thing that you know that, that doesn't that won't necessarily come up organically in the rest of the conversation. The biggest thing, obviously, um, was Goldberg demolishing Brock Lesnar. In however long that I wrote about it, I should know how many seconds it was, but it was a minute and a half, or was it even that? It long? was something around ninety seconds. Yeah, ninety seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you, so? What, now that you've had a couple of weeks to decompress, what do you think? Well, obviously, in the moment, I was you know really floored by it. I was marking out the whole time, but after you know some time to ponder, I, I think it's still an effective angle. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for the Royal Rumble. Uh, beyond the uh, WrestleMania implications for the the title feuds, the main event feuds, there's the intrigue of these two guys meeting for the first time. I thought Paul Heyman's sit down interview was great Oof. with that with that uh, five o'clock shadow he was rocking, yeah. and the fake tears. It was it was a classic wrestling moment. That was really um, great. Yeah, uh, he's the MVP of WWE uh, by far. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they executed it effectively. 
people that would never be talking about wrestling are talking about it. At the same time, I understand people's complaints that Brock Lesnar could have potentially jobbed to someone who was going to be in the company past April. Yeah. But that's just that was that's not feasible. That's not going to happen. Uh, that doesn't exist within the realm of of how that company functions. You know, the the money angle is Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar. There's a personal issue there. They have a history. They're both mainstream celebrities of a certain caliber. Goldberg less so than Lesnar. Uh, so that's where the that's where the money is. Goldberg or Lesnar versus Kevin Owens doesn't have that same sizzle. No, I mean you and, and and right, you can obviously make the case that putting Owens in that position would help Owens. And um, I love Kevin Owens but by it, the way. It is weird that Lesnar is is at once I mean his his significance comes from his realness and his immediacy, right? I mean not not for, for one that he was a legitimate cage fighter and brings that air of legitimacy, but also just the feeling that anything could happen when he's in the ring, like he might just decide to break somebody's arm. You never really know. And yet, we don't critique his matches based on work rate or any of the other real things that are involved. It's all this meta argument of what does a Brock... What what are we owed by a Brock in a Brock Lesnar match, right? I mean, yeah. and I don't... And, and I think this is actually, of all of the fan, you know, of the, the fan arguments of like what they deserve... Uh, this is probably the most legitimate one, but but the fact that we know that he's got a limited number of appearances on his contract, right? So every time he shows up for a pay per view match, that's one less pay per view match than we'll have tomorrow, right? I mm-hmm. mean, we're, and to to use one of his appearances for a ninety second squash match to set up a rematch in four months does like that that is worthy of a conversation. I'm not. I think that it was actually really. I, I agree with you. It was a really well executed angle. We were all kind of swerved by it, and that's pro wrestling. I mean, that's we, we should be happy that we're feel that uh, we should be ecstatic that in that post show we were all just staring at space like we don't know what to say. Right. That's we. I mean, that that's kind of in a lot of ways that's pro wrestling at its best. But it is funny that Lesnar is this super real guy who is, and all of his appearances are criticized or critiqued based on how much value we got for our money and. Uh, whether or not he put over somebody else that we really care about and what, you know, his value to the company in this sort of like oddly concrete um, terms. Anyway, I, you know, I, like I said, I agree with you. I thought that it was, uh, you know, in so much as we've, we've sort of, we have to come to grips with the fact that Lesnar exists in his own timeline and he probably won't be doing a lot of carrying the belt or putting other guys over, at least until, you know, he signs his next deal, if he signs it or whatever. I mean, I think that it's, uh, I think I mean it, it was really effective, and I'm and Heyman was great on Monday night. Um, Goldberg did more for me at Survivor Series than I expected him to do. Just, I mean, it was a minute and a half. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you know, I wrote about this right before Thanksgiving. Um, you know, squash matches are are really can be really effective, and the fact that we were all so crazed and that people were talking about it to such a degree. I mean, who knows if it has any? It has an A B, you know, correlation or whatever. But Raw this week had the best rating in a million years. I mean, not a million for everybody fact checking this at home, <laughs> uh, but it did like this stupendous rating. And I mean, I, I think that you know, it's 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 a lot like Lesnar beating the Undertaker, just in the sense that I mean, it wasn't a squash match at WrestleMania, but 
it was so unexpected. Yeah. And it's so hard to surprise people, wrestling fans, in 2016. Well, Brock Lesnar is responsible for three of the most surprising moments in wrestling, and I think the last five years, which is beating The Undertaker at WrestleMania 30. Yep. Squashing John Cena at SummerSlam yep. in very violent fashion and making children cry and losing to Goldberg. Yeah. Um, that shows you his value in that what he does is that he makes, like you always say, anything possible. Yeah, I mean, and in some ways it does exactly, it's, it's he's the antidote to what you were talking about before, the sort of chess piece feeling where, you know, it's not just he's doing this program and then we know exactly how it's going to segue into the next program. I mean, part of his power is that he's not an everyday talent. So when, when, a, when a pay-per-view match is over, he can take two weeks or two months or six months to reset. You know, it's like it really, there's a definitive end, even if it's not the end of the storyline. Um, it, it doesn't have to be an immediate segue into whoever he's feuding with next. But you're, but, but to go further down that line, yeah, I mean, you just, you don't know what's going to happen. It's not this logical, like, halfway through Rollins, Owens, you just start, it just like occurs to you that they're moving towards Rollins Jericho. You know, right. and it's just like, oh, okay, well, now I can kind of start booking this out in my head. Uh, and I was actually talking to my girlfriend about this yesterday. Um, or this morning when I was watching wrestling, she was like, no, do you always know who's going to win? And I was just like, no. Weirdly, that's the only thing I don't know. Right. Because winning and losing doesn't matter at all. I mean, like, if you if the, if the point is that, you know, that Rons and Owens are going to fight, and then I know with 100% certainty that tomorrow Owens is feuding with Reigns and, and Rons is feuding with Jericho, it doesn't matter who wins. I mean, it, certainly it matters who wins the belt, I guess, but like, especially for a non-title matter, you can have a DQ win, you can have any, any form of of, uh, of interference or any schmozzy finish. You can even have Rollins win and then drop the title back tomorrow night. Like, it doesn't, there's so many, like, the winning and losing are the least significant, least predictable things, but also the least significant things when you can tell where the storyline's going. Totally. With Lesnar, you don't always know where the storyline's going, and that's what's so great about it. Yeah, it's, it's, pure professional wrestling and you if you can divorce yourself of your favorites if you can say i instead of me wishing that he would be jobbing to seth rollins or to roman reigns or to whoever your favorite is and just say this is an interesting story just on its its own merits then you can see how this is the purest wrestling thing there is yeah yeah, I mean, and, and listen, I, I hope that Kevin Owens is is part of my life on WWE TV for the next decade. But I mean, let us not forget that the two people who we who you know online smart fans like the people listening to this, like the people talking on this podcast, the people who we most desperately wanted Lesnar to put over were Daniel Bryan and CM Punk. Yeah, and and you know, it's sad, but neither but putting those two guys over would have been meaningless, right? In twenty, I mean, looking back from now, yeah, there's there's an element of how important is this going to be? How much staying power does this person have? I believe that Kevin Owens is going to be around for a long time, but you don't know. Yeah. Uh, I believe that Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose and AJ Styles and all those guys are going to be around for a long time, but you don't know. And so you have to pick your battles and you yeah. have to say, you have to, dis- you have to, I think as a professional wrestling booker, decide who is the safest bet. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly the case. I'll make a smooth transition here. That's exactly the case I made for Charlotte winning um, the title at uh, Hell in a Cell because I, like I've said it on the show, is was that I really felt like as big as they were hyping up that match as a as a huge moment in women's history, that 
they were going to make the call as to who walked out of that the champion based on who they felt was going to be still wrestling for them in 10 years. So when they showed the video packages, that person was still around. And Charlotte, I think, was the safer bet, both injury-wise and, you know, just you know, commitment to the industry. Not that I'm saying I have any reason to believe Sasha's not committed, but it seems like it's in her blood, speaking of Charlotte. It's a little bit more ironclad. Right. Um, But uh, on Monday night in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the Queen City, as most of us, most wrestling fans know it, (laughs) um, we saw Charlotte once again drop the women's title to, to Sasha. Now, I have two questions for you. One... Are we? Are we? Can we? Can we acknowledge yet that this is a feud that we're going to be watching DVD packages? Is this like how close are we to like Triple H versus The Rock or like yeah, I mean, just epic all time feuds? And or are we even close to there? And two, are we micro man? Are we micro criticizing this feud too much in real time for the swapping of belts for everything else? Is it? Is it possible that? Just like with Lesnar and Goldberg, you get a little bit of distance, you realize it was a good move. Is it possible that that what they're doing is actually going to be beneficial in the long run? Well, to answer your first question, uh, I think they're definitely close to the pantheon of great feuds. Uh, It's going to take a few years, obviously. They've been doing this for, what, one year now? Yeah. Uh, It's going to have to carry on a little bit uh, more uh, in, in terms of, like, just the the variety of the angles, sure, right? So Rock and Triple H were you know wrestling each other when they were both in in factions yep. and, and DX in the Nation, and uh, then you know their their uh, heel face alignments change, and then Rock is a baby face and, and Triple H is a heel, and then that switches, and there's you know they were able to have great matches no matter what side of the coin they came right. down on. I don't know if Charlotte can be a baby face. I know that. Sasha can be a heel. Yeah. But Charlotte's babyface run in WWE was not good. Yeah, I mean, I think in some sense it just takes her playing a heel long enough and winning all the all the smart fans over. You know, sort of the... I mean, not that she hadn't won them over, but she kind of established her cred playing a heel for a long time. I mean, listen, if it was... You know, if she got into a feud with Stephanie... And, yeah, and Sasha ended up siding with Stephanie. I mean, Charlotte would be a very effective babyface right. in that situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, she th- this feud isn't 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 to that. I, I wouldn't argue that it's you know on in the pantheon yet to use your terminology. But it's really for some reason I was just watching that watching the title match and I just felt like it just had that feeling like I was watching one of those great old like star building matches. They're a hundred percent on their way, and I think. You know, in, a, in in five years, we're going to look back at this and say this was the beginning of this amazing Hall of Fame caliber feud. And in some sense, and I, you know, I don't want to belabor the women's revolution never ends point, but in some sense, the winner, like the winner of this feud, is the division if it can get to a point where I think the only way that you get to Sasha and Charlotte being or, that we're, get to the point where this feud is on that level is if you can take six months feuding with other people and come back and find each other, like right. you said, flip heel and face. And the women's division has to gain a level of kind of certainty, I mean, and permanence to the point where you can have, you know, Charlotte versus Bailey and Sasha versus Nia Jax and have those happen for three months and have 
Charlotte and Sasha not interact and then have it be more important when they come back and have and and like I said and for the both of those feuds to warrant you know spotlights on Raw every week um, but yeah I think that it's possible that it, I think that I, I feel like they're on the way yeah well to answer your second question and to sort of piggyback off of what you're saying um, you know I think it's good that they're switching the, the belts so much because one thing that it does for both of them is it it establishes legitimacy in both cases. They're both getting clean wins. They both look strong. They're both putting on these five-star matches. So when the division is ready to expand, you've got your two pillars. But if you don't have both of them sort of trading victories like they're the Lakers and the Celtics in the 80s, you don't have those superstars that can then go off and and, and work with the Emelinas of the world eventually whenever she premieres, uh, or Nia Jax. Sooner the better. Yes, please. I'm done with with these Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition uh, promos. Uh, So you need those people who are going to have these great matches. And now that we have that foundation, Hopefully they can start to split them up, and I feel like there are the seeds being planted for Sasha versus Bailey at some point because they're interacting so much like they're best friends, and we know that they can put on a great match. Um, Charlotte and Dana Brooke splitting up at some point yeah. is probably going to happen. Um, so I'm hopeful that we can take a break from this. I'm not saying that I'm not enjoying their feud. Right. But I think the general consensus with wrestling fans is we've seen this match a lot. Yeah. I think I think that's legitimate. I mean maybe maybe I need to start watching wrestling every Wednesday. Like I just wake up and watch six hours. <laughs> um because I did I did feel good about wrestling this week in a way that I haven't in a little you know, I mean I not like I was pessimistic or whatever. But I even liked the Seamus Cesaro thing. Another attitude era kind of throwback yeah. and just we're gonna get out of the arena altogether. But and it was hammy and it was silly and like I said, my girlfriend was there. We were laughing. Like it was, it was. This was not one of those things where your girlfriend laughs and you're just like, okay, but let me to explain to you why this is important. Right. It was like I was laughing too. This was silly, but it it's another one of those you know bird's eye view things. This feud, the the be, the best of seven series, felt interminable at times. Even since they've been you know made into a tag team. They certainly, it, there certainly has not been a lot of, you know, it certainly has not been a straight line to the top, and it, there, there's been little in the way of momentum at times. But I enjoyed the segment on Monday, and in retrospect, like I'm happy we've had all that, we've they've had all these matches together, and like that they, you know, it actually felt like a real bonding moment. <laughs> I, I'm, I feel like a fool for saying that, but I was like, oh, that actually worked. I kind of want to see what they do from now on. Yeah, sure. I think in some sense it works because Cesaro is more believable as a as like a solid friend than as like an international playboy and so like when he just like ordered the Guinness at the end and then just stared at it by yeah, the way did like not that, drink that it that felt real in a way that like that you know the the martini shake and not stirred just felt so unnecessary that was my, my one moment where I wanted to throw a brick at my television yeah um, I, this is another great example of like wrestlers in regular clothes are always cooler than wrestlers in tights. Now wrestlers wrestling in regular clothes not always cooler. I mean, no, Shawn Michaels in jeans wrestling Triple H in a street fight is not cool. No, I mean, I, I was actually thinking more along more in terms of wrestlers who just always wear their clothes. Oh, like a Dean Ambrose. Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't have an Bray outfit. Wyatt. Although Bray, it's, Bray Wyatt's a little bit different. He has a sort of wrestling uniform. Like, yeah, I mean, he has a couple of them, but he has, you know. If it's not that far away from spandex, he also exists in the dark dimension. So True. I mean, he he doesn't have to wear clothes necessarily. 
So we'll, we'll get to TLC in a sec, but when, just to, to take it a little bit further down this rabbit hole, the are we are we are we too, I mean I, I say this as someone who has a weekly wrestling podcast are we just too hard on these things because they're happening in real time I've written about this and we've talked about it a little bit before but I felt just sort of bad about you know just being kind of being that sort of fan you know I mean it just seems like Partly it's because it's written, you know, these things are written on the fly. Every week there's a different script. But we as fans beg for this high level, long term storytelling. You know, we want Westworld. And then when we see an episode, we just criticize it as if next week will never exist. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, is, it, is this just a symptom of being a wrestling fan? Yes and no. I mean, I think that on some level, wrestling has always had complex storytelling. Because it's never ending. Sure, it requires and the backstories are endless, and yeah. exactly, yeah. People are constantly changing allegiances, and you have to keep track of who is upset at who at all at all times, who's been upset at who in the past. Um, so it's almost sort of like the way that people are interacting with shows like Westworld now on Reddit and whatever you know, whatever uh, think pieces, the comment section of a, a thing on Vulture or whatever. Uh, we've been doing that uh, with wrestling since the 90s. You know, yeah. We've been uh, dissecting this product and, and getting into the real minutia of it for so long that, it's, it, of course, it's more complicated than you really give it credit for. Well, yeah, okay. I, I, we talked about this a little bit before the show started, and I, this, was my, this is my question. It's like, is there a thing that wrestling can do to achieve the sort of immediate like interest that Westworld has. I'm not talking about necessarily expanding the fan base. I'm just saying is there a is there a wrestling equivalent of with no spoilers about Westworld, but is there is there is there a wrestling equivalent of, you know, that big reveal on a on a on a TV show that sends everybody to Reddit to say how can we figure this out? Like well, how, let's put all the pieces together. How do we get here and what does it mean for the future? And your point is well taken. It's like we're kind of already there. We've been there for a long time. I think that what wrestling suffers from is la- lack of faith in the writers and and the ability to criticize because it's happening in real time and it's not a it's not we don't have ten episodes in the can and let's just see how it ends you know let's see what the authors figured out um, but you know authorial integrity I think is a real thing and I'm not saying that we should you know mind wipe ourselves and and pretend and and all go ahead blindly believing that that Vince McMahon will always make the right decision for the WWE but in some sense it would be nice if we could do that if we could choose to do that you yeah. know what i mean there 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 is a, a long history of those sorts of like oh my god holy shit moments in wrestling where there's a, a plot twist or something and you want to you know consider if there was foreshadowing or whatnot we sort of see where the foreshadowing is because yeah. we've been watching wrestling so long and you you look at Westworld and how people are interacting with that on the internet. A lot of those plot twists are things that people guessed. You know, they were like, "Oh, I, oh, I, yeah. I can see where how this is going to happen," and I feel like this is a sign that this is a thing. You know, dancing around the truth of Westworld so that you don't get anything spoiled. But I mean, I can also think back to like the reveal of the higher power. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, uh, they gotta do that again. <laughs> we need another higher power, or or Rikishi running over Stone Cold Steve Austin with his truck. Or who is Vince's son? Yeah, there's so many of those because it has a, a 
a basis in in the soap opera tradition of there are cliffhangers. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, prestige dramas have these splashy cliffhangers and this naughty storytelling. But the problem with wrestling doing it oftentimes is that the execution, the the sticking of the landing doesn't happen. Stone Cold Steve Austin was not originally supposed to be run over by Rikishi. It was supposed to be Triple H. And I think Hunter got hurt or something happened and they they changed the story to be Rikishi and then that bombed and then they retconned it back to Triple H. Like, no, actually Triple H hired him to do it. And then the higher power was supposed to be uh, Cyrus, right? Yeah, there, there, there definitely there have been a couple of different rumors about that, but yeah. Uh, and so you then you watch wrestling, and it's like Vince McMahon is the higher power, and you can't go back and say, "Wow, they've been laying all this pipe for this sure. reveal," because Vince McMahon has been devastated that his daughter gets crucified or or in this this black wedding with the Undertaker. Why would he do all this stuff? Yeah, I mean, part of it is just the like the, the, WWE has been doing a better job at engaging with sort of the internet, and absolutely, that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and uh, so, I mean, and a lot of ideas that that people like me have floated, or they, they're doing stuff like that now. There was some point where what, it, what Becky gave herself a nickname during her promo on Tuesday night. What was it? Was something really silly? Oh, oh she called herself the Honey Badger. Oh, right. Which was like, oh, that, that's, that's like a five-year-old reference. Yeah. Um, but I did, but but there was a point. There was I don't know what why it made me think of it, but it was like it seems it's so dumb. It's like Kobe. Con, so no, no offense, I know you're a Lakers fan, but when he like gave himself the Black Mamba nickname, sure, of course. Like if you're on wrestling, like why does WWE not just start like a a Twitter a, a Twitter account with some like random you know cartoon face on it and just start tweeting it at her calling her the Honey Badger for like a month and then you can just be like people online have called me the Honey Badger there you go it's like yeah I just feel like there's there are ways that they can engage with the internet just kind of drop hints about things and like you know I guess you have to you do have to be running longer term storylines yeah and it's so hard to keep up with that stuff if people get injured you know, we were talking about Finn Balor getting hurt and how that changed an entire half yeah. a year of, of wrestling storytelling. Um, but it led to some of the greatest, I mean, some of the best storylines they could have done because they're having to figure it out on the fly, yeah. right? I mean, Seth Rollins' face turn it wasn't, happened, it didn't, wasn't handled as seamlessly as it could have, but, like, I'm more interested week to week when I feel like WWE doesn't have their plan set in stone. Yeah, that's that's you know I think one of the things that's underrated about wrestling storytelling is there is an improvisational aspect to it, and a lot of the best episodes of Raw were probably written that day, as opposed to sure. like oh we we're gonna have a year's worth of storytelling planned out and we're definitely going to do um, Daniel Bryan versus Triple H at WrestleMania or, or what have you. Yeah, you can have vague ideas about it, but sure, I mean it's some fun of the, to, the best parts of the Daniel Bryan. Um, the, and I wrote about this before Thanksgiving too, because Daniel Bryan being squashed at WrestleMania when he fought Sheamus was the reason. That, I mean, I, a direct like a direct result of that was Daniel Bryan winning the title at WrestleMania two years later. Yeah. Now you can he could have done it without that, but the groundswell of just sheer like abject just animosity towards the WWE that that match generated. And they knew what they were doing when they did it. Now I don't know if they knew the degree to what they were doing, but that led to it. And and but but the but the better point is that if you want to read the entire storyline of Daniel Bryan from that moment to winning the championship as a coherent storyline, it's a really beautiful it's a really beautiful story. Yeah. 
some of the most compelling parts are parts that I don't think the WWE had any deli- any decision, you know, had any volition when they made the decision. You know, Daniel Ryan not being booked on an episode of Raw here or there when he was like theoretically, when you look back on the rise to WrestleMania, like those are the most compelling moments. But they're like actually not real moments necessarily. Right? They weren't they weren't planned um, as far as we know. But yeah, I think you're right. There's there's we're part of the story. That's the hardest part about doing professional wrestling writing, I can imagine, is unlike writing a regular TV show, there are people that are actively cheering and booing everything. And they and even you and I and, and every like person who talks about wrestling or writes about wrestling on the internet uh, for a living or just for fun or whatever, anybody who's doing it, who's a commentator, has their favorites. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and that means that there's going to be uh, you're not going to be able to look at it from you, you can't from be. a top from yeah. above. Yeah, it's true. And there are and there, yeah, in some ways you have too many options. I mean, I think in, on Westworld you can have your favorite character, but you can't. There's not a lot of dissension. Like I, I hate Bernard yeah. is the worst character you ever to be care. on television. Right. No one's saying anyway. But but I but I am interested in the sort of immediate like so tweet at me at at David Shoemaker. You can tweet at Schilling. It's at Dave Schilling. D- at Dave underscore Schilling. Dave underscore Schilling. And uh, see if you have any ideas about like things that what what could that be, what what could they do on Raw that would send you to you know the squared circle on Reddit or wherever to try to help you and your and your compatriots to figure out what is happening. I don't know if there's a mystery deep enough for that could make it onto air that is deep enough for you know the the wrestling internet not to solve in five seconds. But, yeah, even if it's a Bray Wyatt storyline or something that has a supernatural aspect to it, we know where it's going. Um, what do you think Bray Wyatt is going to turn out to be Wyatt on Westworld? That's my that's my working <laughs> well, theory that, right now. I'm definitely hoping that that's the case. Let's talk about TLC. Before we do, I have a couple. Uh, I had two little two funny notes, funny in my own mind notes about the women's match that that I didn't get to mention. But um, I like how Flair is referred to as one of the one of the greatest of all time. I guess the Undertaker in WWE lore is bigger than Flair. Like, well, I wonder in, if right now if WWE is forced to say they're Mount Rushmore, who it would be. Oh man, that's a tough one. Because let's just assume that Hogan's out. Now I'm not saying Hogan's out forever, but probably wouldn't be put in the in the Mount Rushmore today. So we're talking about the kayfabe Mount Rushmore sure. as opposed to the shoot one. Uh, I don't, I don't think Ric Flair makes it. Not sure he does. He's dead. He's given so much to the business, and he's given enough to WWE that they can claim him. Uh, how many slots are we getting? Let's just say the top four. Top four, okay. All time uh, wrestling. Undertake. Okay, okay so no, let's say starting. Let's say start. I always try to start with the Hogan era, even though Hogan's not involved. Let's start with like 1985 to present. Yeah, I'm not going to bring in uh, Frank Gotch or Bruno San Martino. Yeah. Uh, so if Hogan's out, Undertaker, Rock, Austin, Triple H. I don't even think Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Randy Savage. Who do you take out? Why? Whenever you take out a, whenever, you have whenever to have I those would four do guys. this before, I would put. When Hogan was in, I would say you only get Austin or The Rock. Interesting, like, because there's no way they, they occupy so much the same space. That, That's true. I mean, and I and I said that like I think Austin is the answer. I think yeah, The Rock has done more in the past five has done enough in the past five years to make it a really compelling to make a really compelling argument on, in his favor. Um, I mean, just the this the that two year Cena program yeah. is something that maybe people didn't love. Um, well, actually, it was three years because it started at WrestleMania 27 yeah. or 26 or whatever. Um, that was meaningful for the business. And his fame. 
you know, outside of the ring is not an insignificant thing. Um, but Oscar, you could put Andre in there. I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, Undertaker, like you said, I mean, it's if you only get four, then you have to just say one from each era. Yeah. So you have to say Austin, Cena, Cena Michaels, uh, and then Savage instead of Hogan. Or Undertaker goes back a long way. That's true. You could almost put it. You could almost pencil an Undertaker as your. But Undertaker's Survivor Series was Survivor Series ninety. Yeah, but 90? but that's before like. He debuted what before WrestleMania seven? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's seven years into the WrestleMania era. You have to pick somebody who I think had been around for all you know the 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 formative WrestleManias. Yeah, and Savage um, wasn't there for one and two. Yeah, ninety is when he debuted in Survivor Series ninety. I like I just double checked this on Wikipedia and the subheading on Wikipedia under World Wrestling Federation. The first subhead is Western Mortician, which is just the, the name for that era, which is really great. All right. Uh, so tweet at us if you have any ideas of things that WWE could do to like really go next level internet sleuth and make you – because I, I would do that. Like that's I'm more interested in, than, in the, the Westworld Reddit page than in any wrestling Reddit page. You know, like yeah. I want, like I like to, when I'm online, I like to like read theories and figure stuff out. And that exists in wrestling that people like fantasy book and say like, maybe this is what they're trying to do, but it's just not the same. You know, it's just cause there's, I guess, like I said, authorial integrity. It's not, not what it could be. Right. All right. Now. Um, oh, also here's my other note. If we're still calling, I thought we weren't calling the crowd the universe anymore, but during the women's match, they kept spilling out going in the crowd, and Michael Cole would say, they're entering the WWE universe. That's never going to go away. I think maybe they were teasing getting rid of it or, or like trying to see if... Uh, my, my only question is, if, that's, if we're still calling the crowd the universe, then shouldn't every universal championship defense be a false count anywhere match? That's a great idea. I mean, that would certainly make the belt. If that's it's the universal championship. Come on, I'm into this, um, and it would be great for Owens because Owens has that hardcore background. Yeah. Oh man, he would be he would be great. Um, is there anything else from Raw that we need to touch on? I don't think so. Right. Um, New Day is definitely getting a little little boring. Are they going to bring Demolition back? Like what? <laughs> Demolition is <laughs> that's like the, the last. Demolition team is the play. best. Is the number two tag team on Raw right now? I wish it was like the video game WWF Superstars, where they uh, had to you know go through a litany of, of tag teams, and then at the end, it's the Legion of Doom. Yes. But of course, R.I.P. Um, Hawk. Hawk. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where, where this goes. I hope that it ends up with the revival debuting on Raw and taking the belts from them like the week after they break the record. Huh. All right. There's some fantasy booking we can all get into, I think. Uh, all right. Now to the pay per view talk. This is not roadblock into the line talk. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered the subtitle I, this time. I, I, may I wrote it down. But the, the, uh, if this is an indication that they're basically dispensing with all of their like insignificant pay-per-view names, then I've I've been long an advocate of that. If everything is a roadblock, just like everything is an NXT takeover or whatever, like that's fine. Um, let's just focus on the ones that matter, like and the ones that have long-standing names with much with tradition, like tables, ladders, and chairs. Tables, ladders, and chairs, which is this <laughs> Sunday. Oh boy! Somehow. Um, it's funny that this is a that this got split up. I mean, obviously, not everything can be a, a a show for both brands, but TLC was right on the verge of being like it was like the number three or number four pay per view, and then now it's just a SmackDown pay per view, which is not to diminish SmackDown, um, but in some sense, it's a perfect SmackDown pay per view because 
almost all of the feuds that we're seeing play out on under this pay-per-view are feuds that have been like working I mean, they've been they've been working on for months. Yeah, it's time and for gimmick matches for yeah, all of these. Almost yeah. all of them it's feel like they've really earned like chair shots yeah. in a way that WWE almost never accomplishes. Um, so let's run down the card real quick, and and uh, we'll just talk. We'll get, do our picks, and if there's anything in here you want to talk to talk, you know, talk about on SmackDown, um, we'll start from the bottom. And I'm immediately going to have things to talk about in this, but this is the last match on Wikipedia: Heath Slater and Rhino versus the Wyatt family for the tag team championship, or the Wyatt family being Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. Um, dude, that main event on SmackDown, the finish to that main event on SmackDown was just stupendous. Yeah. To have, first of all, to have the confidence to book a match in your main event spot on your go-home show that actually changes the card for the pay-per-view mm-hmm. was was ballsy and and made me much more interested in the whole in that whole feud. Yeah. Um, but man, that finish from the moment that that Gable went out basically was just great. I mean, Jordan looked like a million bucks. Um, Standing next to Orton and Wyatt, and but the whole thing was just just immaculately immaculately choreographed, um, and yeah, every, no, nobody looked bad. And but but putting you know Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton in this match, I think is a good spot for them. Do you think that they win? Well, I'm thinking back to our Survivor Series picks and how poor <laughs> our record was. It's, it was like like we said earlier in the show, winning and losing doesn't matter. Um, but you know, what, do you see that? They, do you think that they will eventually have those to have the I th- titles? I think it's the smart move. Yeah. I think that there's enough um, traction with this angle. I I didn't think I was gonna like Randy Orton in the Wyatt family, but I really like Randy, Randy Orton, Orton is, in the Wyatt family. Yeah, I mean, Randy Orton was great when he was with Edge. Randy or- Randy Orton was. I mean, say what you will about it. I mean, Evolution was really good. Say what you. What was the other one? Legacy. Yeah. Uh, but Randy Orton and one other guy is interesting. I, I, we don't give him enough credit for being so versatile. He's had like nine different gimmicks, yeah, variations on a theme. None of them have been dr- drastically different, but they've been different enough that he always feels fresh. Yeah. Randy, remember Randy Orton with young Seth Rollins and sort of being both being part of the authority. Like, yeah, he's. He's 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 really he's capable, and I think those two holding those belts could. I mean, talk about legitimizing titles. They might never defend them, but the, I mean, I would love to see those guys uh, putting having those guys walking around with belts is a, is a good move for is a smart move for WWE. It's really important that Bray Wyatt succeed at something. Yeah, he's never held a title in WWE, which is remarkable to me because he's been one of the most consistently over marketable interesting characters they've had in the last five years um so this isn't ideal i think you know an intercontinental title run would be interesting or a world title run would be interesting but there's people ahead of him there's people that have momentum and he's not going to break through there but the tag team division feels sort of um open enough and, and amorphous enough and doesn't have that clear hierarchy that this is a perfect way for this feud to, or this angle to continue. I think that's true. I think they bring legitimacy to the division. They make, and in some sense, I feel like them holding the tag belts is, is makes them seem, feel more legit than if they were holding one of them, you know, Bray had the IC title because you Bray can still be considered a main event caliber wrestler and hold half of the tag belts because they're just that good. Right. Um, and yeah. it elevates the other teams. It does. It elevates the other teams. They've been doing a really good job with this slow simmer 
on American Alpha, you know, just waiting till they're exactly ready. And then and if the if the end of if 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 Wyatt and Orton do win the titles, like the out the getting the titles off of them is easy. The, at some point Randy Orton turns on Bray and they and they drop the title the belts in that at that moment to American Alpha. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, or Luke that, Harper turns on. Sure. I mean yeah. any number of things could happen, but like if they prime American Alpha to take the titles off of Wyatt and Orton, then suddenly American Alpha are in in kayfabe, they're everything that we smart fans like to think that they are. Right. Um, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess why the why why Norton win only because Slater and Rhino, as great as they've been, just don't seem like they they haven't they haven't put them over as world beaters so far. Although why not? I mean, they could always drag it out for another month. I, they're not on SmackDown a ton. They're not really filling up a lot of airspace. They're not doing a bunch of uh, promos or angles or anything. So I think it's probably run its course uh, a little bit. They don't seem to have any interest in moving them up the card. Yeah. So them carrying the belts around is superfluous. Maybe if they just maybe they should just have like a blood feud for two months or something after the, after they drop the belts. Um, it'll be if if they're not holding the belts if they if they compete in the Royal Rumble. I think it's going to be a really interesting. How big is Heath Slater's pop? moment when he comes out. Yeah. Because I'm I'm always interested in his level of fame. All right, next, uh Kalisto versus Baron Corbin in a chairs match. Yeah. This is my side match of the of the of the month. That ta- the mixed tag match on SmackDown, I couldn't help thinking like why not we talked about the attitude era enough in the show, but why not just straight up run back the Sean Diesel gimmick and let Baron Corbin follow Dolph Ziggler around and be his muscle. Like just like they, they're playing he's those characters wolf, anyway. Dog. He's well, a lone wolf. He's not. He's not accomplishing very much alone. And he was in a tag team match uh, on last night. Anyway, um, is there any way Kalisto wins this match? By wait, it's a no disqualification match. So no, it's a chairs, chairs match. match. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I think it would be foolhardy for him to go over against a much larger man. It just seems like an, I mean, he, would, he has the, he has the advantage of the chairs, but I just ha- I have a hard time imagining that booking. Which means he'll probably they'll probably play <laughs> he's gonna win. Over. Yeah, uh, Nikki Bella versus Carmella. Carmella got a got kind of compelling promo on Tuesday to to and there was a nice run in by Nikki. Um, she hit that spear hard. Yeah. Uh, I've heard a lot of conflicting opinions about Carmella on the internet in the last couple days. I was fine with it. It's a little weird that she's bringing John Cena into it and talking about her fake breasts and these kinds of things. Uh, like, I'm going to hit you in the chest so hard the Bella twins are going to go under your back. I thought That's it was a, a gray line. Gray line. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was visually uh, unpleasant, but I guess it's supposed to be. She handled that uh, How You Doing chant super well. Yeah. That uh, was a perfect way to shut them up and to get heat. Uh, I think she probably is going to lose, though, because she's she's won most of the matches, I feel like, in this feud so far, and he's kind of dominated Nikki. Nikki deserves a win. That said, Carmella probably should be the one to win the blow-off, and I don't think this is going to end after this. It feels like it should, but I don't think it's going to. I'm right with you. Uh, the Miz versus Dolph Ziggler in a ladder match. This is part of the Shawn. I mean, the Shawn Michaels comparisons for Ziggler will never end with if, as long as he's wearing those tights. But if he's throwing having, super kicks too, and we're and, and engaging in ladder matches. Yeah, um, I'm excited about this match. I think this is going to seal the show. They were so good in their last big last big match, and they and they, I mean, they they bring the best out of each other uh, in a way that you know. It's, it goes beyond two friends wanting to make each other look good. Like they, their chemistry has really gotten to a weird another like second level of late. Um, and ladder matches are the best of all of these matches as far as just 
it's not necessarily closer to a pure wrestling match than the other but the other ones but it's less schmozzy you know there's just it's a wrestling match with some cool spots yeah there's something about the ladder match to me that feels like the ultimate upper mid card feud blow off match I think it's just because you think ladder match you think Sean and Razor you think and then Sean and Razor volume 2 yeah Uh, and that was like the ultimate upper mid card match that and you know you go back to Savage Steamboat those sorts of uh, well it's also the ultimate like smarky match because they had the first one and then like remember the second one was just Gorilla Monsoon Commissioner Gorilla Monsoon just just showing up right before the event and just being like forget what we had planned you guys want to see this other match again right I mean it's just like it's it's like it's fantasy booking um all right. Uh, wait, who do you got in this one? Oh, um, this is weird. This is another sort of Sasha, Nikki, uh, Sasha, Nikki, Sasha, Charlotte situation. Or they could just keep going back and forth forever. Yeah, but I want something else for The Miz. I love The Miz like I love a, a young child, like my son. I just want to see him <laughs> succeed all the time because I think he's such a great heel. But I don't think they have big plans for him. Are they... Are are these two guys next in line for the title? If for, is one of them going to get the world title spot if they don't? If AJ and Dean don't keep feuding, to me they're going to continue with this through the Rumble with AJ versus Dean, or or segue to Undertaker or Cena or something. I don't think they're going to elevate anybody before WrestleMania, uh, especially not Miz and Ziggler. As much as I like both of those guys, they feel like the dudes who are your honky tonk mans of the world or your Razor Ramones yeah. who never quite get to that level. Sure. Um, though the Miz, you know, had his his cup of coffee in the main event at WrestleMania. Um I I guess Dolph. I I I don't know where to go with this one. Because yeah, I'm going to go Dolph, too, just because I don't have as much confidence in the rest of the baby faces on the card, and they always, you know, factor in the balancing it out. Um, speaking of which, Becky Lynch versus Alexa Bliss. I, don't, I mean... This could go either way. This is a tables match, by the way. Um, I'm so excited for this match. I just am like irrationally into this feud, and and it feels like again they've sort of earned this this payoff, and they've earned a tables match. Um, Both of their characters are very well defined, and they play well against each other because Becky is just like such a pure white hat baby face who is uh, you know plucky and works hard and believes in herself and and slaps hands with kids and wears silly glasses I love her glasses I I don't mean to impugn her glasses Schilling is actually wearing goggles I'm really a steampunk guy you you guys have no idea I wear a lot of leather chaps Um, but Alexa's great with her because Alexa is the opposite of that she's a perfect heel and like I said before, I mean, to me, she's the MVP of the brand split. Like 100%. she's got, she is, she's, she is, you know, grabbed the brass ring since the brand split, as well as anybody who's not named James Ellsworth. You know, I mean, yeah. it's been, she's, it's been really impressive. Um, I, I feel like Alexa's gonna win. I don't know why, but I feel like Alexa's got the. There have been so many title changes. Have we, how many cruiserweight title? Well, we and we we, we predicted two already switched. tonight. So. Yeah. It feels like a lot. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I feel like th- I feel like this is a big moment. TLC is a big moment for them to try to get people's attention. Like like Raw. I mean, like not Raw. Like WWE did at the Survivor Series. Um, but you know, we said that before, and obviously, it, it only it doesn't happen. They don't they don't go to shock you in every match. It feels natural to put the belt on Alexa to continue this, but I think 
I think it's staying with Becky Lynch. Speaking of surprises, now, uh, you know, after the Survivor Series, there were a lot of predictions, ours included, that The Undertaker might get involved with Ambrose since he was sort of culpable for the loss at the Survivor Series. If they're going to actually make anything of that, I feel like a shocking Undertaker appearance at TLC is the way to do it. Yeah. You kind of think you've already lost most of the momentum that would have come from Undertaker blames that loss on Well, Ambrose. they won They won the match, though. Oh, no, no, but he, but what, he, but Ambrose screwed it up, right? Well, it's Ambrose uh, did the, the tandem powerbomb on AJ. Right. AJ he, was eliminated. He helped, yeah, he helped Raw. The, the, the Wyatt family, you know, they, won, they were right. the sole survivors. But still, I guess you can reverse engineer a feud just by saying, like, The Undertaker's upset about the brand loyalty uh, or the lack thereof. Still, I'm not so into that storyline. But if, I'm not gonna, either. if there's something that's going to be made of it, they've got to do it. Uh, what I, what is just, an undead uh, grave-digging uh, mortician yeah. figure care so much about uh, a blue T-shirt? It's, I don't know. It, it's, it, it beggars belief. Um, the I mean, I guess... I find it hard to imagine Ambrose is going to win, but again, I don't think it's I don't I don't think the odds are like dramatically in Styles' favor. I, and and it does feel like this would this is the sort of night where they would just do a even if it's not connected to a specific storyline, they would do an Undertaker or John Cena appearance just to goose the crowd a little bit. Yeah, you know. Um, so I, I know I I, I think this is a, this is a good it's a good looking card, man. Yeah, I don't want to see Ambrose Styles again. I, I don't think that they have a ton of chemistry together. This is the best, this is the best run up to a pay per view they've had. This yeah. is the storylines finally. I mean, James Ellsworth is useful, and I mean, the whole thing has just felt just about right. But you're right, I'm done with it. Like, yeah, I'm, they, I'm, I'm happy to see them both move on to other things. Yeah, for whatever reason, it just doesn't quite click. So I hope AJ wins. I can see Ellsworth maybe making a, a fatal error as he does a run in because he, he's guaranteed to do a run in. Sure. I think. Um, but I think this is he moves on. AJ moves on to something else. What if Ellsworth joins up with AJ Styles? Oh, heel turn. That's a very attitude era move. It's like this makes no sense. He yeah. basically murdered just have him dye him. his hair brown and just do like a little Nate gimmick with AJ, where he's just oh like, man, <laughs> yes, that this is perfect fantasy booking. This Here we is go. what I want to hear on this podcast. Yeah, and Dean Ambrose should just join the Wyatt family too. I want the Wyatt family to be all like headliners who are just like about, they're just gonna like amass talent and then just bulldoze people. That's a classic wrestling angle. is is an unstoppable stable. We haven't seen that in a they long don't, time. Yeah, they, they're they're reluctant. Other than the Shield, um, and they were all rookies. So like at heart, like they they booked them like they were unstoppable. But you know, I think what made them what made that a palatable decision was uh, the fact that they were squashing undercard guys. Yeah, yeah, squashing undercard guys. Um, anyway, uh, all right. So wait, what's your pick? I'm gonna go with AJ Styles. Yeah, I don't. I don't I, I the, a title change would be just for just the reaction. It. Yeah, and I, there's no reason to. Royal Rumble, I think, needs a fresh matchup. They need something else for AJ Styles to do. But what do you think that's gonna be? Here's the real. Here's the prediction that really matters. If it's not, if it's not Ziggler and it's not the Miz, are we are we rolling back John Cena, uh, Undertaker? My my ideal. Would be Cena Styles three because I want to see that again. Sure, uh, at WrestleMania that is. Uh, so I I'm gonna just from from my own edification say Undertaker because he promised he was going to be a part of SmackDown. He has not appeared since the 900th episode, and he also promised that WrestleMania would not define his legacy anymore. So he has to appear at a pay per view. 
Right. And uh, the Royal Rumble is a perfect time to do that because they have to sell 50,000 tickets yeah. in the Alamo Dome. And Undertaker versus AJ Styles allows the Undertaker to give AJ a rub going into WrestleMania. Yeah, and I don't I don't see him being in the actual Royal Rumble because there's only 90 seconds between entrances, and his entrance takes like five minutes. <laughs> right. So, uh, and Undertaker, Lesnar, and Goldberg in the same Royal Rumble—that's a lot of beef. Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, TLC's on Sunday. Royal Rumble's at least eight days away. I don't even know how far <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, no, I think it might be uh, on uh, the next Sunday. By the way, I know that we, I keep joking about this, but as many of these things as there are, it's like we keep coming back to, it's the lack of surprise, you know? It's like there's not, there's too much that we're just, we're, it's so ingrained in us. But like if there were a day where I just got like a push notification from the WWE app that were just that was just like, by the way, AJ Styles challenged Dean Ambrose to a match at this house show at MSG. We've got our cameras on it. Watch it in 30 minutes. You better believe I would like leave whatever I was doing to go watch it. Yeah, because that's something that's outside of the norm. Yeah. But at the same time, we went through this card, and there was no like slam dunk, this is definitely happening. Sure. It feels like this could surprise No, this is going to be a, a fun bit. match. Like, I mean, a fun night. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm totally into it. The only... Um, I mean, yeah, there, there's no, nothing is obvious except for, I mean, we'll all say Baron Corbin was obvious if he wins, um, but like, yeah, he, I mean, honestly. Kalisto might honestly win that yeah. match, I don't know. I think it's, uh, yeah, the only, like, it's, none of these things are as much of a sure thing as, as Linda McMahon getting a position in the Trump administration, <laughs> and even that is very up in the air. Um <laughs> We don't have to talk about that right now. This Come is a, on, play, this is, this is, this is a yeah. wrestling podcast. Um, wrestling and politics podcast. As, as, that's, what, <laughs> that's what my contract says. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. This was a long one. Thanks for hanging out, Dave. Do you have of anything course. you want to plug? Uh, I'm at Dave underscore Schilling on Twitter and my basketball podcast, Round Ball Rock, every Tuesday. I talk about basketball with some funny comics. It's great. How's, uh, how's basketball going for you? How are you, how are you enjoying the season? Um, very bummed that the Lakers lost to the Pelicans. A lot of injuries. Nick Young, R.I.P. Yeah. Hurt his ankle or He's some some ACL. I don't remember what it is, but um, I'm happy. I'm I'm satisfied that they're at least a competitive team. They're they're one of the sweetheart teams of the Ringer office right and now. And I'm enjoying the Knicks being bad. That's fun. Yeah. Whew. Um, I haven't I, living in LA, man. It's a, the one, the one, one really nice thing is that I just don't ever think about the Knicks or the Nets, really. So you're a very lucky man. Uh, I get to get to sort of add them out of my life. Although Porzingis did have Porzingis has had some moments of oh, watching him play basketball is uh, it's like watching Shawn Michaels versus the Undertaker at WrestleMania. Go on. It's just it's always fun. Oh yeah, you turn it on and it still works no matter what. Yeah, it's true. All right, well, uh, thanks for turning this podcast on, and uh, we'll see you back here next week, humanoids. <laughs>